This is our first ever theme podcast, and I can't think of a better guest than Amanda Freeman. Not only is Amanda one of my dearest friends, godmother to two of my children, but she is far, in a way, the most entrepreneurial, hardest working woman that I know. Amanda blew me away the day I met her, the start of our second semester freshman year at Duke, and I know that she will blow all of you away today. So, Amanda. I'm lucky enough to know you, but most of our listeners don't know you personally. So just give me the like two minute, three minute version of your career history. And don't even think about leaving out little Dinos. (laughs) Well, thank you for the the sweet introduction, Amy. And I'm the lucky one to know you. But um, (laughs) your reference to little Dinos is, uh, yes, near the start of my uh, career. And that is uh, one of the three work jobs I had during college, uh, I manned the phones and ended up delivering sub sandwiches to Duke students um, in apartments or dorms. Uh, and they had a famous honey mustard that, uh, you know, I still think about uh, till today. And then I also ran or invested in a bar and worked at the bar as you know and then a clothing store worked at a clothing store the like only cute or one of two cute clothing stores in North Carolina at the time and ran put on that fashion show which I I'm, I know you were in um but oh yes I yeah remember. I mean <laughs> I have always been drawn to entrepreneurship and working it's something you know I enjoy I get a lot of my identification from. Um, And it was while at Duke that I found my first career. Uh, I didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor. I thought I didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer. I actually took the LSAT um, while we were in college and the GMAT. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I was giving myself options, but then I was reading a magazine article about this emerging career that they were calling cool hunters or trend forecasters. And I read about, I think there were like four firms that did it, that did market research. And then based on their understanding of consumers, they consulted with companies and told them what what products to make or services to offer or marketing messages to appeal to the young consumers. And when I read the article, I was like, oh, this is what I do naturally. I would love to get paid for it because I was always interested in the trends um, and paid attention. Mm -hmm. So, I reached out to you know, all the firms mentioned in the article and, and got an interview with at least one, I forget if another, and just hit it off with the founder, who I know you know Amy and, and um, you know, her, yeah. her children are in your orbit and you've known her for years through me anyway, but just like really clicked with her and you know got a job doing this amazing work. And so I did that for three years. So I specialized in Generation X and Generation Y, who now I would call the millennials, uh, consumer insights. And I helped companies like ESPN and Coca-Cola and magazines like Cosmopolitan and brands like L'Oreal uh, figure out their consumer and what products and, uh, and messaging to deliver to them. And I loved it. Uh, I did take a break from it to go to business school because I knew I wanted you know, to get a well, well-rounded well exposure to different aspects of business. And my background was now in, in this marketing area. I wanted exposure to finance and accounting. Um, and so I, I went to Harvard Business School, lived in Boston for two years. And um, 
you know, thought I might change careers after. And then I ended up actually going back to my firm, the intelligence group, but it had been bought by CAA, the talent agency in LA and New York. And so I went and worked at CAA for another three years, uh, doing similar to what I had done prior, but, you know, at an elevated level. And it was more interesting because we were working with entertainment properties and uh, entertainment brands. But I left because I knew I needed to start something. And I had had one idea prior that I pursued on the side called uh, the Experience Club, um, which was a great idea, but not not a good business, but a great idea. Um, (laughs) But but the business that I ended up leaving my job to pursue was called Vital Juice. And the idea was that I had always loved daily candy. But as I reached the age of 30, I was less into the restaurant opening sample sale kind of content. And I was Mm. increasingly interested in wellness and what should be my snack between lunch and dinner or what ingredients should be and what I put on my face. And I didn't feel like there was a go-to resource for it. So a friend from who had gone to college with me and business school, uh, Lisa Blau and I started it together. Um, And we said it was daily candy without the cavities or Uh, We delivered the latest in fitness, nutrition, beauty, and wellness to your inbox. Uh, And that got me really into health and wellness. uh, And it was an amazing job. But I got very interested in particular in boutique fitness. And uh, I loved the idea of what places like SoulCycle um, and other, and like the bar studios at the time were delivering. But I wanted the Pilates results. I wanted the experience of a group class. in a boutique studio that was dedicated to one class, but I wanted it to be a different workout and different results. I wanted long, lean muscle. Um, And so a friend in LA told me I had to try this studio that at the time was called Pilates Plus. It was this guy, Sebastian Legree's studio. And the minute I stepped on the Megaformer, which is the name of the machine, I knew it was the answer to my prayers and what I was looking for and couldn't understand why it wasn't in New York and other places uh, in the US. And uh, so it took me a little time to figure out that I was gonna open a studio. Uh, I actually brought the idea to two other friends who were already in the health and wellness space and they were interested but ended up passing. And so eventually I said, you know what, I'm gonna kick myself if I don't do this because someone else is gonna do it. And so um, I brought the Megaformer to New York uh, and for the last, almost nine years or nine years plus I've been growing the business. So there's uh, 26 studios uh, in seven or eight different States. And it's been a great long journey. And along the way, I also had this idea to start another (laughs) business, uh, which is called stretched, uh, which is like, I say it's dry bar for stretching and it's one-on-one assisted stretch and you just can walk in or you make an appointment and somebody stretches you out, whether it's post-exercise or before work or because uh, you have 20 minutes in the middle of the day, um, it's a stretching space or stretching boutique. So, you know, I feel like that was a long-winded career. And Oh, and the other thing I like to do, which is partly a hobby, but that I hope to make money from is uh, invest in businesses that I feel passionate about. Yeah. So the amazing thing about you that I have always thought and that I think is obvious right now to anyone listening is, you know, 
you're obviously highly educated and you're incredibly driven, but not everybody like takes a Pilates class. And then next thing you know, has, you know, this, these studios all over the tri-state area. Can you just give like a little bit of an idea of what the steps were that you took and what part of your background you really leaned on to make that happen? Was it, you know, mostly HBS stuff that you learned in terms of like real business school education or was it a mix of that and your previous jobs and you, you know, obviously such a marketing consulting um, background as well, but like, how does one do that? Most people take a great class and they're like, wow, this would be great if it were in Montana where I lived, but they don't do it. Um, they just, you know, wish for it and then fly back to LA every once in a while and take that class. Like, how did you actually do it? Yeah, I mean, I think what what is important is I I actually pursue the things that I can't stop thinking about. So I'll have like random mm -hmm. ideas, other ideas that I won't pursue because maybe after three months or a month or a week, I, I'm not constantly thinking about it. So the reason I went after SLT was, as I said, it took like almost two years for me to actually do it. It was that it was constantly on my mind. Every time I went to LA, I took the class and I know it was busy and there were a lot of classes and people's bodies were great. And it was the same people every time. And I started doing the math and it's when like something doesn't leave my head and uh, that, that I really take it seriously. And then, you know, I, I tried often, I try not to even do the ideas myself. I try to get someone else to do them uh, because I'm in the middle of doing something else. And uh, you know, that's, like like the whole serial entrepreneur thing is some there are people who tend to have a lot of ideas and then they can't pursue them because you're running your company um but so that's why it, it takes me a long time usually to start the businesses because i'm not like dropping everything and going but so i think it's it's the passion it's the conviction and then it's the follow-through i mean i think you just have to there's a certain point that you can play out an idea and then there comes a point where you have to commit it for stretched, I remember it was when I actually signed the lease for our flat iron space. Like it wasn't happening until I did that. I didn't hire the person who I eventually moved from San Francisco to run, to help me run the business in New York until I signed the lease. And so there's a certain point where it's like, you're kind of not turning back. And the hard part is like, do you raise money before you sign a lease or do you sign a lease and then raise money? There's like a chicken and egg thing. But I think it takes, you know, I think it takes passion and then you've got to be willing to uh, work on it a lot and know that like you're not making any money on it for a very long time. And like you may work on it a bunch and then you don't even pursue it. And you just have to have that like diligence and willingness to like roll up your sleeves. Uh, but that combined with passion is what really gets you there. Where do you think this, I mean, I would describe you in the best way possible as just you know, a, a ball of energy, but a true hustler. Like you hustle until it gets done too. Where does that come from in you? I mean, I've known you a really long time in your family and your history and, you know, lots of different things that you've been through, ups and downs. But where do you think it comes through? Or comes from? You know, people say, are like, are you a born like entrepreneur or, or is it something you can learn? And I mean, personally, I think I, I was like born this way with a proclivity for ideas and I get really excited about them and I'm willing to work hard. I like working hard. In fact, like I don't, you know, I, I like having the structure and the purpose. So to me, I just feel like it's, it's kind of the way I was wired. 
uh, and not necessarily the way I was raised because I don't, my, you know, my brother and sister both have done entrepreneurial things. So maybe, maybe that it was a factor, but I would say of the three of us, like I'm probably more strongly this way. Um, but no, you, know, you, definitely, was, you definitely are. <laughs> and my dad was, did a lot of venture financing. So he wasn't the entrepreneur himself, but he did entrepreneurial funding. You know, he took risks. I think, you know, that's the other part of it. It's very risky and you have to be willing to take risk. And I've observed in myself over the years, as I get older, and I think this is probably true for most people, you become more risk averse and a risk um, is a much bigger deal because there's bigger stakes. You know, you could earn more money at a regular job or you have a family that you need to support or you have bigger bills and responsibilities. And that's the one thing like I've seen myself grow out of a little like the risk tolerance. Uh, you have to have that risk tolerance. And, and again, I think a lot of it is what you're born with, but uh, I think you could learn to accept it without being born that way if you are making more like calculated risks. Um, but that makes sense. You know, yeah. 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 And then, so right now, obviously, we're in the middle of, you know, a horrific pandemic in New York and the tri-state area has been hit the hardest where it's the heart of your business. Um, so one, like literally how are you coping, not just business-wise, but every day. And then two, as a serial entrepreneur and having seen businesses and really understanding the nuts and bolts, are you focusing on extreme like day-to-day -day, or are you at this point trying to see the light at the end and strategize ways to find success in what's going to be this sort of you know, new normal going forward, or, or is it too early for that? Um, well, to answer the first question, like how I'm coping, I would say not very well. And I've gotten in like <laughs> waves, I would say right when uh, everything went down mid-March, it was like awful, an awful 10-day period where we were, I was personally coming to terms with the fact that I shot, you know, amongst both businesses, 28 locations. And a lot of decisions had to be made really quickly, especially on um, employees or independent contractor relationships. And so those 10 days were awful when I had to lay off, you know, hundreds of people. It was so brutal. And then I felt like um, things normalized a little bit. And I'm now going through another wave of uh, dealing with the landlords about, you know, if you haven't paid April rent, you haven't paid May rent. And things aren't looking any different for June and who knows if we're even going to be open for July. Like how are we going to come out the other side? Um, so right. I feel like I'm in a second wave of like, ah, but um, you know, and the unfortunate <laughs> thing, you know, it's a little different for SLT and stretch because SLT had such, had a much bigger corporate structure and a lot more expensive that expenses that needed to be cut pretty instantly in order to like, conserve cash to get through this time period. So right. there's only like nine of us left at SLT. So I'm doing all the nitty gritty as well as trying to stay a little like 30 feet up, but I'm definitely way too in the nitty gritty to, to, to be able to maintain the, the future point of view. So like I, everyone's approach to this has to be, first you have to survive and then you need to figure out how to thrive, right? And as the leader, right. we're supposed to be dealing with both. 
Um, but, you know, if the surviving is taking too much attention, it's, it's hard to focus on the thriving. I mean, stretched, we were able to keep our, uh, our corporate team, uh, you know, at a reduced, at reduced rates, but we have all the corporate people. So that one's easier for me to stay um, out of the weeds on right now. And I guess, thank God you have all this background that you can actually do the nitty gritty yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it. I think the bad part of it is like, I've always loved like doing my expense report oddly, but it's just, I don't have the time to do both. And that's the problem. So, you know, it's like the moments when I go for a walk or, or something that I'm able to get more out of the weeds, but you know, there's a lot of calls as I think everyone is, right now it's like zoom call central right now um just to stay in touch with everybody Definitely. yeah so just to take one step of step backwards um into when you said that one of the reasons you went into you started slt and went down the road excuse me why well, started vital juice and went into the road that then led to slt was this um real passion for wellness and, you know, knowing what to snack between meals and knowing what, you know, what to eat and what workouts to do. When, where did that come from? Like was, I remember seeing it in college a little bit, but wellness wasn't a thing, you know, in the 1990s. Where did that come from inside of you? I think, was it not inside, was it outside? Yeah, I I always try to think back to whether, what, what we did in college and I did, we did join that gym um off campus oh, yeah. gym which I think was a big deal and I remember like going to work out at like 11 p.m which is it was like 24 hours, or it was open really late I remember that being but um but yeah but but this interest started later in life it did not start then um and I think it largely started when as I was aging as I was getting closer to 30 and in my job um I I was writing up these trends. I wrote about macro trends, uh, larger societal shifts in the way people are thinking and behaving. And the macro, I wrote up a macro trend in like 2006 that was the rise of well consciousness. And I observed in myself and in a lot of other people that, you know, prior to that, people would doctor Google and try to diagnose themselves with different ailments. But that was when they already had a problem. Um, what, what, what we were starting to see was a shift in people pre- trying to prevent the problem. Um, so there was more thought, like meditation prior to that was thought of as like extremely extreme and like Birkin, you know, it was like the hippies were vegan and right. wore Birkenstocks and, you know, cared about the environment. But it was at that point where this stuff started to become mainstream, where people started to drink smoothies and, uh, you know, people started to care. You used to think yogurt was healthy. And then you realize like, oh, this yogurt has tons of sugar. It's actually not healthy. It was at that point when people started to pay attention. And personally, it really resonated with me. And I just didn't feel like there was there was a resource. So it really started because of like my own aging and evolution, as well as what I was observing professionally. The name stands for strength and length and tone. It's about the results. To me, that's the science. Like I, we always say, it's like a no bullshit workout. Like you can't. We we don't like tell you you're gonna make your new best friends. We don't tell you to come a half an hour, hour early to hang out, and we don't tell you to high five right. your neighbor. It was very much like <laughs> come, show up five to ten minutes early. You know, take off your shoes, put on your grippy socks, like be diligent about your workout, and then go home. It was much more about like efficiency and results, whereas. 
you know, stretched is a little different, but still, you know, we do focus on the results of stretching, but there is an element yeah. of, the, of the stretch that's not just about like how your body feels, it's actually how your mind feels after a stretch. It's yes. extremely relaxing, yeah. you know, it's like a yeah. productive, relaxing time. So there's more of that in there, but I personally am way more on the science side of things and and, and try to get into the woo-woo, like as far as meditation goes. And there are certain workout classes that I'll take now and then because I'm more like fascinated by the psychology aspect of it versus that it's actually like seeping in. I've even, I've gone to, to see Tony Robbins more out of fascination than out of like being able to fully get on board, you know? Uh, yeah. And I, obviously I completely agree. And, you know, my background is running a foundation that works with scientists and physicians and researchers who are, you know, deep into the data collection part of their job. So that's always where I've come from. But I do think um, that that's where people tend to be more, um, I think people tend to really glonk on and stick to those kinds of workouts in particular when the science is the result, exactly how you said yeah. it. I've never heard it said like that, actually, which I, I 100% believe in. And I can say I have never in my life taken a harder class than when I took an SLC class. Which well, you, took, you also took the hardest Stumbled into the hardest teacher, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know. And I could, you know, barely walk for three days, but in the best way possible. I mean, it was incredible. Um, and if I lived in New York, I would, you know, take more of them. Um, so just you. to round it out, I would wish, of course, I wish, um, I would love to hear from you what you think has been your your greatest failure, maybe just one of them, or a failure that you've learned from, and then um, the flip side, one of your best successes. Um, my greatest failure. Huh. I mean, you're asking me everything's as, like, a learning a experience. So. Yeah, I mean, you're also I asking, know. like, I'm sure coming out of, out of, like, coronavirus, like, when this is all over, I will have, it won't be so raw to mention some of the failures, uh, yeah, the more recent ones, uh, because I'll say a recent failure is with SLT, we were on, like, a path of grow, 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 like, where can you open? how quickly can you open and then something like this comes along where it's like you couldn't be in a worse business than to have like a four wall a lot of four wall fitness studios right now although there i'm sure there are are worse businesses but i would put this fitness studios and restaurants uh, among some of the worst uh and yeah. you know that mindset is when you look at it in light of this is obviously wrong you know you look back and you say uh that was a location i wish i didn't open that was a location I wish I didn't open. How are we getting out of those locations? So we actually just yeah. shut, um, we shut one of our locations like in the middle of all this craziness. Um, and, you know, so that's like a recent failure. Uh, I would say, you know, I can, I can list one that's not an emotion, doesn't have an emotional tie to me right now is I mentioned the experience club and I mentioned my lesson from it is, you know, it was a great idea with, but a bad business. Um, and it right. was something that we, we were pursuing as a hobby, a few girls where we said, oh, all we ever do is like make reservations and go out to dinner with people. Why don't we learn to do something and have an experience with those same people instead of just going and eating and having an expensive meal? Um, and we learned to like do strip tease. We did um, opera <laughs> appreciation. We did the trapeze. Um, 
we did there were oh we did like art tours and it was really awesome and people loved it and at first it was a hobby and everyone's like oh I want to join your experience club I want to join your experience club and then finally we're like oh well we should be charging for this and what we learned is you can't charge enough for it to ever make sense for you to organize the experiences and you know we put like a year and a half into it luckily it wasn't anyone's full-time job only to realize like this is not a business and so those are a lesson that you you know take away you know you take away from it and every time I have a business idea I think like how do you make money off of it and you know it, it's not usually the primary purpose when I think of the idea I you know it's usually I want to create a product or service that I think people will like and then secondarily you got to figure out the business model but you just realize like that that you got to figure that out before you pursue something. Right. What are you most proud of at this point? Um, I think I am most proud of so far the way the, the businesses that I have going on now stretched and SLT are, are working hard to weather this storm of being closed for however long we are. It's very impressive. I've had people take on other jobs that they didn't have before. I've had people who were reporting into someone, now they're managing their department. And, you know, I'm making a lot of mistakes and there's a lot more like management I could probably do. But, you know, while being a leader and a manager at the same time, it can be hard. I'm proud that, you know, we're functioning as well as we are. Uh, I'm also proud of my family. You know, I have two, that's cute sometimes, most of the time, uh, kids. And, you know, and I think what I'm most proud of, honestly, is that I'm able to balance things and that, like, I feel like I do spend a good amount of time with my children. I'm devoted to my work and I make time for my friends and, uh, you know, the things that are important to me. Do you see any little bits of like entrepreneurial spirit in either of your kids at this point? They're so little, but I feel like you, they bake cookies. I could see your daughter baking cookies and wanting to sell them for, you know, an obscene amount of money. Yeah. I mean, she definitely wants to <laughs> in a good spend way. a lot in a good of way. money. So she definitely wants to spend a lot of money. So she either, she should be either a very successful entrepreneur or go into finance. Um, but <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not I, I see a lot of creativity in my daughter uh and so mm. you know I think that is a trait that is important to entrepreneurship uh you know I hope I raise my children to be hardworking and have that grit that you really need the like passion plus um ability hardworking nature uh I hope I raise them but I you know I also think it's it, it's hard in our world because you want to give your kids everything that they want but you but you you can't or they won't develop the grit so so it's hard yeah, but, but your parents you know, did I that hope. your parents gave you everything they they could and then you guys you in particular you know turned out to be one of the grittiest hard work most hardworking women i know so well thank you, you. you know and you don't know what like life circumstances they'll have but hard and then yeah. you know hopefully not too many but um you know we'll see hopefully Although, like, some days I wouldn't wish this on anybody, you know, just get a steady job. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of those people are out of work, so it's all True. relative at this point. It's yeah. all relative. This too shall pass. Well, thank you, Amanda.